everyone. Welcome back to This Is Not About Your Body. I am your host, Jesse Neeland, and I have a special guest today. Uh, this will be Bree Campos, who is a licensed professional counselor, educator, and body image coach who teaches body acceptance through grief. She's worked with clients in eating disorder, eating disorder recovery for six plus years and is passionate about using the health at every size paradigm. And she has her own podcast called the Body Grievers Club podcast. Uh, so welcome, Bree. Thanks, Jess, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I have personally been following your work for like, I don't even know how long, but I love it. I love it. I'm so excited Thank to you. finally connect. Um, just to have us get started, I'm going to ask you to maybe share a little bit just about yourself and what it is that you do. In your work. Sure. Um, I'll give you the short version and then you can ask me to expand cool, on whatever perfect. you want. So I, I, I was a mental health counselor, started not really knowing what I wanted my niche to be very quickly figured out that I really enjoyed body image. Uh, I, I not only because of lived experience, but also because I got my start at an eating disorder center. And that was really where I began to suss out the, huh, you know, like we're saying this is an eating disorder in her body because she's small and is restrictive, but it's prescribed to me because I'm in a larger body and really beginning to suss out the, you know, anti-fat bias that exists even within uh, the diagnostic criteria. And, and that, that concept of what's diagnosed in a thin person is prescribed in a fat person comes from Deborah Gard, who's one of the you know, mantle holders of the health at every size paradigm. And so it was really through my work, not only as a therapist, not only as a person who struggled with their body image, but as a provider who worked in eating disorder recovery, knowing that if we cannot figure out how to hold conversations around body image, then eating disorders are going to be prevalent. We are going to continue to stay stuck in. Yeah not recovery and so I, I i always say like i was my first client because i had to learn myself how to make peace with my here and now body and it's not what you think it's not like sunshine and roses and that i love my body all the time and that you know i love every single picture of myself and that i feel hot and sexy and all that good, good stuff it's actually a lot of a lot. Do we curse on this podcast? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot of shit. It's a lot. I always mean not to, but then I do anyway. So I'm like, let's just I lean know. into and it. It's like, listen, kids, if your kids are listening, you're hearing it anyway. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell when I, I used to do um, mental health counseling with kids, I would say, listen, mm -hmm. you can curse. You just need to know the right context to curse. Like, mm -hmm. don't do it in school. <laughs> right. Don't tell your teacher to F off, but like, man, sometimes <laughs> it, just, it just pisses you off. And so, yeah. um, yeah, so it was through my lived experience combined with my clinical background that I developed this concept of body grief. And mm. it has resonated with hundreds of thousands of people who I have, you know, come into contact with and who I have not come into contact with. And I definitely can't say I, I like I've heard the term body grief before, but kind of like with real grief, I didn't find anybody who was willing to hold space for that grief. Mm. I was like, yeah, you get to grieve your body. And then it's like, okay, but I need, I, I need somebody to, to be like, yeah, 
this sucks. And so in my community, we talk a lot about sitting in the suck. Like it's just going to suck. And that is a part of what we need to do in order to make peace in our here and now lives. Amazing. So there's so much in there that I want to ask about, but I want to go back because I just want to have you define a little bit this concept of what is prescribed for someone in a large body is, oh, I already got that backwards. Say it for me again. What so is, what is diagnosed, diagnosed in a thin yes. body is prescribed in a fat body. Yes. So this is brilliant. And I'd love to have you say a little more about that for anyone who doesn't know what that means. Yeah. So when you look at eating disorder criteria, oftentimes they're not oftentimes <laughs> in our book, in, in our diagnostic Bible, there is criteria that has to be met, including weight requirements. And so what happens is those that are existing with the disorder, but don't meet the criteria are being passed by as people who have eating disorders. And what we call that, we call it atypical anorexia. Guess who doesn't care, or let me reframe, guess who doesn't cover atypical anorexia? Insurance Insurance. Yeah, yeah. And so because they don't cover it, folks in fat bodies often don't get the same treatment opportunities as those who are in smaller bodies. And so uh, what I, I really had to wrestle with, there's this clinical term called cognitive dissonance. I'm coming into this being like, okay, like, yeah, I'm the pro- provider, I'm gonna help people. And then I would go home being like, do I have an eating disorder? Like, I don't even know. <laughs> I couldn't even assess because I'm like, I've just spent the whole day telling these girls to eat whatever they want to make peace with food, yet I am intentionally cutting out these same foods in the name of quote unquote health. And really it wasn't in the name of health, it was in the name of thinness. Yeah. And so once I was able to bridge that like, oh no, like there shouldn't be separate standards or separate rules depending on your body size in order to receive treatment, in order to make peace with food, the next sort of hurdle I had to get over was, okay, well, I can feel that. But what if my doctors don't feel that way? What if my family doesn't feel that way? What if a future partner doesn't feel that way? How do I wrestle then with the fear of judgment or the fear of not being quote unquote healthy? And so these are sort of the three kind of caveats that I find people get stuck. It is what about my health? Mm-hmm. What are people going to think about me? And what if I'm uncomfortable? By gaining weight or by going through like the anti diet recovery? In, yeah, yeah, just existing in a body that is not made for this world. Yeah. Right? That, so I think that's uh, a really interesting distinction there because well, we, I say we, I don't know, my world, I, I talk a lot about fat phobia and the anti-fat bias, which is all about perception but also it has these very real consequences like in the you know uh healthcare system for example among for sure. so many other things um but i feel like it does still sort of blow my mind because i think of like dsm5 stuff these diagnoses as like like they should just be a lot more official and like better and so to have clients you know telling me that they 
they'll describe the behaviors and, and the impact and all these things and say, oh, but I wasn't anorexic because um, like my mom sent me to a doctor and they said I was fine and I should keep dieting. Like it makes me want to pull my hair out and I'm not in that space, right? I'm not a therapist. Yeah. I can't be like, no, you definitely were like, it's not, I can't say that, but I'm pretty damn sure they were right. Like, oh my God, right. it's, it's wild to think how official yeah. this thing, it's the most official and it's right. so wrong. And what I would say to people in, in that camp is like, well, okay, we have to recognize the fallibility of the DSM. It, it up until 1972 being gay was diagnosable like when, when yeah. i tell people that they're like no it can't have been that too yep 1972 mm -hmm. was the first time we were like maybe we should take this out yeah. obesity is still diagnosable and when you look up the In latin some five i didn't know that actually oh yeah yeah obesity As what? is a disease Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I, I thought you were saying it's a mental illness. Okay. Well, oh, well, okay. well, either they, way, but no, I got still, you. They still claim it as a disease. Yeah. And, and here's the problem with that. When you look up the Latin of the word obesity, it means to eat oneself to death. So we are functioning with a definition that someone's body could only ever exist in a larger body because they are eating themselves to death and excuse my French, but that's fucked up. Like <laughs> it's so messed up. And so uh, I like to tell my clients, like we can, we can, we can get a formal di diagnosis if it will help you mm -hmm. when it comes to, you know, it, it, and, and that's, it's really hard because especially depending on like level of care, yeah. um, you might need a diagnosis in order to get care. Oh, for the majority of right. us who it's like, you know what, we probably wouldn't even qualify even if we, even if we had the diagnosis, because yeah. um, insurance would be like, well, no, no, you're fine. Um, so for those of us that it's like, I just need to name it or label it, um, just name it. Like you, yeah, you're allowed yeah. to name it. If it, if it will give you peace of like, mm -hmm. yeah, I had an eating disorder. I also think my my friend Aaron Flores said this one time in a training. It was like, um, you don't need to differentiate between eating disorders and disordered eating mm -hmm. because that's how we create hierarchies of care. Hierarchy, yeah. Yeah. And so if you have had a disordered relationship with food or your body, whether it be an eating disorder or not, you deserve quality care. That's so, that's such a liberating and powerful concept that you can claim it for yourself. Mm -hmm. I think so much of like the, the work that I do is about sort of reclaiming, mm -hmm. recentering and all that. But because I'm not in a space of diagnosis, I don't necessarily feel qualified to say something like what you just said, but it feel, I feel the change in my body. I'm like, oh yes. Mm -hmm. Like that's so true because mm -hmm. I think, okay, disordered eating is dieting, right? Like that's what most yeah. of our country is doing that, sure. having disordered eating, needing disorder. I don't even quite know how to, to change it. I was talking to, um, uh, to another therapist about this and, and she basically just said, it's like, it's how much it affects your life or whatever. That's Beautiful. really all we're talking exactly about. Exactly. Right? I was going to say, yeah. I was like, the way I would describe it is thinking about how does, how does my relationship with food and my body and movement impact my daily living. So mm -hmm. if we were looking, if we were going to look at overall functioning, when I would look, I would look at first, 
Does it impact my ability to hold down a job or to go to school? Does it impact my ability to make friendships or relationships? And uh, three, does it impact my emotions? What I have found in my body grief world, most people can pass enough that they can hold down a job and they can make some friends. It mostly manifests in emotional regulation, emotional well-being, and also in like a romantic dating sense. That is where I find most people have the most body grief. Yeah. Do you know, it's super interesting. When I first started doing the work that I do in order to be very clear, I had this very strong boundary. I wouldn't work with anybody who had an active eating disorder. And if they'd had one in the past, you know, there's a whole bunch of hoops to jump through. And I feel like at a certain point, I just realized if I held strict to the definitions of these things, um, A, I couldn't work with anybody. (laughs) Exactly. And B, like nobody who was coming to me was going to go to a therapist. Because they weren't, quote unquote, bad enough. And I will take it even one step further is no disrespect to therapists, (laughs) but many of them don't know what they're doing either. Mm -hmm. Like when when we look at at trauma training, (laughs) I had one course in trauma and now I'm trauma trauma informed. And and I will tell you, it's just another jargon that like we throw out there like, oh, are you trauma informed? And and I it is my my purpose to help providers become trauma informed, because what I wasn't taught is. Even if you are allowed to touch trauma, that doesn't mean you should, because you could end up doing more damage to clients by pushing, by going there just because you can. And so I've developed even just for myself of how do I how do I explore my own quote unquote trauma or distress? And so I use this skill and I'll teach my providers, I teach my clients and I call it uh, body body distress scaling. Mm. So if I experience something, I will ask myself on a scale of one to 10, how distressful does this feel? So I'll give you an example. I am like, uh, a dehydrated plant right now. I have not <laughs> been drinking enough water and I know it. And so my feet are hurting. Mm. It's uncomfortable. An older version or younger version of myself and a different version of myself might have started to spiral of, oh my God, I have diabetes. Like this must mean I'm diabetic. Huh. This is this is so bad. And I would have started to yeah. spiral because it would have caused me a high level distress because then it would have been like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to the doctor and then I'm going to have diabetes and then I'm going to get fat phobic care. What I can say now is, yeah, my feet are hurting because I'm dehydrated, um, but it's like a, a two. Like I, it's uncomfortable but it's yeah. not distressful. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that when we can teach our clients to differentiate between distress and discomfort, we can acknowledge the trauma, but we can focus on the discomfort. We can, we can address the discomfort. So if I was my own client, I would be like, okay, so what do you think would help to alleviate some of that discomfort? And I would be like, well, I know I've been working really late the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. So probably some sort of like, gentle movement or stretching yeah and i know i don't want to do that because (laughs) i know that it's going to be hard and i don't like doing things i'm not good at so then i would project manage i would plan i'd be like but you know what i would do i would go to a class with someone else because Mm -hmm. that would be fun for me okay or uh you know like 
um, make it like I've wanted to buy this like makeup thing. Okay. If I can drink three bottles of water today, maybe by the end of today, I'm going to treat myself and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and trying to make it a manageable and tangible goal and not just, I'm going to drink more water or I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm going to figure out this, uh, do I have diabetes? I, I personally go to the doctor regularly um, because I have a lot of co-occurring uh, medical issues that I need to. And uh, 10 out of 10 don't recommend being in a fat body. It's the worst. Like, I hate it. Um, I have, you know, shameless plug, some episodes on medical trauma and advocating for yourself with the doctors. So definitely feel free to link those um, Absolutely. In, your, in your episode. But um, yeah, I would say we, we make mistakes as providers by avoiding trauma and by going too ham on trauma. Yeah. yeah. And there's a nice balance. I love that tool. That's so great. Also, I think it's interesting to think about. So something for me with body neutrality is often differentiate differentiating between like preference and uh, whatever, however you feel about your body, the distress part, right? Because uh, I always say like, I used to use language like body love and, you know, all these things. And yeah, and I, I was like, even when I used it, I remember being like, this is what people love to hear. It's what they yeah. want. Like it's, you know, but it never quite felt right. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm so happy I have body neutrality now because it, it just really resonates with this idea of like, you can have a preference for literally anything you want, but if you can then say, and that's not a problem. Like I prefer that my house was bigger and it's not a problem. Um, I'm not distressed about it all the time. Like those are things that we can hold so much better than. And what I, what I would say is like, even if we want to like level up that, like, because as somebody who's in a fat body, neutrality is going to be hard because of all of the, the privileges that I don't have, that it is literally harder to exist in this world in a fat body. I cannot go to the doctors without being given a lecture or without going into a panic state. I cannot walk into a store and know that I'm going to be able to find clothes in my size, that I cannot guarantee that there are going to be seats that fit my body. Like everything is impacted by that. But what I can do is I can divorce the idea of morality Mm -hmm. from those things. That yeah, I might walk into a store and not be able to find my size and it doesn't, there's no story attached to me. Right. This isn't, this isn't a story about me. It's fucked up and it can, it can annoy me, but this is, this is amoral. This is not a moral issue. So for me, that is neutrality. I mean, it's seeing things clearly like that is how I define it. And and I even have, (laughs) this is like really bummer of a chapter in my book was basically like, what about when you see everything clearly and it just is fucking horrible? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that unfortunately, like that is a lot of it. When body image issues are sort of obscuring something else that's harder and darker and more painful, um, getting neutral doesn't necessarily make you feel any better. In fact, sometimes people feel a hell of a lot worse because they're like, well, what is this? What would I just have to like battle society forever if it's not my fault and I can't change it? I just have to deal with this world sucks. Like it's a really... I mean, it's an improvement because it's true. And I th- I do think genuinely that like we respond better when we're when we're in the truth, but it's not better. What what I would argue is that it's it's actually body acceptance. 
And so when I, when I, the reason I, I utilize the concept of grief, which my, my working definition for grief is the perceived loss that causes distress accompanied with body change. I'll repeat that for you again. Mm-hmm. Body grief is the perceived loss that causes distress accompanied with body changing. This definition can work for somebody who is going through puberty or menopause, who gets pregnant, who gets an illness or a diagnosis for somebody who exists in a fat body and is going into a fatter body for somebody who had thin privilege and is now losing that privilege. There's change and there is perceived loss that comes with it. And so if we think about grief, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross created the stages of grief. The stages of grief are denial. I'm literally drawing a blank today. I have no idea. (laughs) This is like my livelihood. Um, It's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And what I find with a lot of clients who exist with some privilege or are still convinced that they can achieve privilege is they're stuck in that bargaining phase because they don't want to accept the reality. There's a, they don't want to sit in the suck, which is that depression. Yeah. And so acceptance isn't like, woohoo, death, loss. Yeah. Yeah. It is like, yeah, I can't change it. I can't mm-hmm. change it. And how, like, what am I going to do here? Sometimes that means we got to sit in the suck. Sometimes that means we are going to just be pissed off at the systems at B. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to stay stuck. And that's the acceptance is, okay, I can't change this. Now what? Mm -hmm. Now, where, where do I go? For me, that is living my life to the fullest in that I can in the body that I have knowing it's going to be hard. It's going to suck. Shameless plug. Again, um, I'm going to Costa Rica. I don't know when this is going to air. I have this. I have this in my questions. Ah, I was like, I want you to talk about this. So um, I'd seen a lot of providers in this space going on these trips. And the first thing that I thought about was like, I don't want to go and be the only person who's having a hard time because I don't fit because, and, and I'm body image with Brie and I don't want to experience this. So I said, what if an entire team of us can be in the struggle bus together? Because I'll tell you two things with community. One, I can hold compassion for you much more than I can hold compassion for myself. I don't know why that is. I think it's just the way that we're wired, especially if you are, uh, I want to say female, but it's not just female, yeah, but yeah. for many of us, right? We can, we are caretakers. We like to take care of other people. Uh, and then two, it's about advocating for what we need. And that skill, let me tell you, that skill does not just exist around body image. Mm-hmm. That skill exists in work life boundaries. That skill exists in relationship boundaries. That skill exists across the board. So when you can begin to model asking for what you need when it comes to your body image, I am confident that it's going to show up in other areas of your life. And it's hard. It's It's so hard. hard. 
which is why Absolutely. I also say that like body image is an archaeological dig. Because I think especially in the eating disorder centers, we would say things like body image is the journey. Mm -hmm. Body image is the last stuff to come. Bullshit. Body image is a dig. Yeah. You I like we give you the tools and you get to decide. Am I digging? Am I going in? Are we laying a tarp down? Do we want to go? Like we don't have to unturn every stone. That is not a requirement here. What do we need to do to increase our ability to function from that right, those areas right. of functioning on an everyday basis? Oh, I love that. Okay. So so many things in there. One was, um, I saw a post of yours in which I think you were traveling alone, but it was about like, ask for a seatbelt extender with me. And I loved it. I think because of what you're saying, this idea that like advocating for yourself, especially when you are the like outsider in some way in a group alone versus you know, advocating for yourself as a leader of a, a pack or as like just one of many, all of whom are also doing this. It, it changes everything so like <laughs> cellularly, it changes the entire experience. And I loved that you made that post. Cause I was like thinking, you know, how, how often is that ever represented anywhere? Mm, yeah. I remember. And the reason I, I had posted that was because again, the first time I needed a seatbelt extender, I felt so much shame because I had never seen anybody else right. talk about how normal it was. And now I see people are like, yeah, I use a seatbelt extender because I have my own seatbelt extender and my seatbelt extender didn't fit in their seatbelt. So I was like, I'm gonna have to ask for one. Might as well share. Yeah. This is, this is amoral. This is not yeah. a moral yeah. issue, my friends. A moral. Absolutely. And that goes back to something else I wanted to mention, which is, you know, you, the stages of grief include anger. And uh, I think that this is a really important one because when we talk about amoral, uh, there is a, there is a toxic force, right? That I always say, like, especially when people feel a lot of disgust, like disgust is about a toxic force. There is one. You're right. You're just aiming it at the wrong thing, right? Like you're aiming it inward. You're like, my body's the toxic force. That's the thing I feel disgust about, or that's the thing that I'm angry at when actually the toxic force is this, this society, this oppressive system that has made you feel that way. And the thing that you are angry about is that this is fucking bullshit. And some, some part of you knows it. You know, we, one of the things that we say in my community all the time is in uh, in the Hunger Games. I'm going to ruin it. If you haven't seen it, you were never going to watch it. <laughs> There's a line where um, it, they, they, one of the characters says, remember who the real enemy is. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So when when people come into my world and they're in body grief, they are stuck in that bargaining mm -hmm. uh, because they are not ready to yet accept the body that they exist in. And then what happens, and this is right, and uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talks about this all the time, stages of grief are not linear. We don't just mm. go through like one time. Then people get angry and they're like, I'm pissed. Like, yeah. okay, like I'm not bargaining anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to get on that ship. I don't want to step on the Titanic knowing it's going down, but yeah. I am pissed that I have never been taught anything else. Uh -huh. And I'm like this, we're going to use this. We're gonna yes, it's fire. Let's go. Let's use yeah. this anger to propel you yeah. into the acceptance. God, that's so true. And I find just in general, there's such a linear relationship between the angrier that a, that a client gets about the systems. They won't even necessarily have done 
you know, it's not like they're like, oh, I'm less and less angry, but it just, it happens because the anger is being aimed appropriately. I think, I think there's two things. It's like the anger lessens when it's not Mm. self-directed. The anger lessens when it's not self-directed. And then two, when you move into that acceptance, when you move into the, okay, well now what? My whole life was spent trying to figure out how to make my body smaller. And now it's not your life becomes so much more full. Like you have so much more brain space and you're doing more things and you're meeting more people Uh and you're doing more stuff that it's like, oh yeah, that, that sucks. And that makes me angry. Yeah. And my life is really full. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so good. Okay. So one of the things I had to ask you about is sitting in this sock and you've already sort of mentioned it, but I'd love to hear a little bit about Um, what that body grief process looks like, what sitting in the suck actually literally looks like. Yeah, yeah. Um, So sitting in the suck is really just a fancy way of saying to feel your feels. As somebody who spent a lifetime learning to disconnect and distrust from my body, like to the point where I would question not just like my hunger, like, like, oh, you can't be hungry, you just ate. But like also Mm -hmm. like, why are you sleeping so much? Why are you yeah. not sleeping enough? Why are you getting sick? Yeah. That there's a piece of body trust that really is important that when it comes back into um, making peace with your body. And so sitting in the suck is just allowing the feelings to come up without judgment, without silver lining it, without trying to explain it away. So for an example, it might be maybe somebody who's like i would love to go on on a trip and i would love to have the confidence that i wouldn't care what people think and maybe that's not you and guess what mm. i'm going to sit in the suck with you on that mm-hmm. because it is it is a a tragedy that you do, like that you already feel othered because society has made you feel that way mm-hmm. and what i believe is that you are entitled to your body autonomy which i mean all these like words all these lingos i remember like i don't know what any of this means body autonomy literally means to govern one's body right to make the decisions for your your own body and i will never tell somebody oh like you just need to get over it and you just need to come on this trip that's not trauma-informed by any means you're going to be the one to tell me i'm going to tell you guess what it's going to suck i'm already anticipating there being some suck and we're going to do it together, which kind of leads into my my body grief method. So my formula for body grief is not sexy. It is not like I know people are like, okay, is it like wearing the bikini? Is it like what what does it look like? And in <laughs> in in reality, body image is way more about your thoughts and your beliefs and your cognition than it is actually about your body. And so what I encourage clients to do is first, we're going to build awareness. We're going to pull back. We're going to, before we even start digging, we're just going to gather information first. Mm-hmm. We are going to explore what could be explored. Then we begin the act of unlearning. That's where we're mm-hmm. going to decide where are we going to start the dig? Are we going to start over here? We're we going to start over here you know what, this one is really distressful. We're going to, we're going to put a sign up. We're not going to touch that. Mm-hmm. There are still things like, uh, there are still things that are, are X'd off for me. Yeah. And at this point, there's just like, you know what, I have enough to deal with in my everyday life. It is not causing me enough distress in my daily life that I need to sure. explore it. Mm-hmm. 
The other piece to the formula is over time. So if you're thinking of like a visual formula, it's uh, building awareness plus active on learning over time. So there's like this bar. I want to make something so clear. Time heals nothing. Like, you know that that that's yeah. saying like time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Time does absolutely <laughs> nothing. The only thing time does is it allows you to become familiar with the wound. Mm. And then the final piece of the formula is that I want you to imagine a box. So the entire formula is inside a box and that box is community because there is something so vastly different about healing yourself and healing within community. And the reason that I drive that piece home is I've done, I'm, I'm doing for my own podcast, we're going to be talking a little bit about cult mentality. I've been fascinated by cult mentality. Me too. <laughs> oh my gosh, we can talk. Oh my God. I'm, I'm so intrigued by it. And one of the reasons that cults are so successful is because there's community to it. Yeah. And I think it's so easy to gaslight yourself back in to a disordered relationship with your yeah. body. And it's much harder to do that when you're doing it with people you love. Yeah. I just read this book on uh, like the language, the the psychology and psychology and language of cults. And I was like, this is so relevant to my work. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I love the name of that. Yeah. I'd have to, I'd have to look it up. I can't remember, but um, it, it talked about like basically how there's like this linguistic pattern inside every cult, you know, that, that you sort of create your own language and then you uh, start to make it feel like you can't use the other language. So now there's this othering between society and the, the inside of the cult. And I was like, literally diet culture, it's a cult. Like it's all yeah. of this language applies here, every rule, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, that's amazing because I, I love this idea of just sort of seeing it played out like that over time. But also I think like a huge problem facing a lot of people is they don't have this community. So what do you say to a client who's like, yeah, cool. You are my community. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. How do I find that? Everyone in my life is dieting and thinks I should diet. And that's why I created the Body Grievers Club because yeah. I, I know that like if people want to diet, they know where they can go. For people who are done dieting, I want my community to be a space for people that's like, you know what? If nothing else, I know some podcast episodes I can listen to. Yeah. We have a lot of things connected to our podcast um, and community offerings that we're going to try to roll out this year um, because it does suck to be alone. And, um, I, I, you know, we try to offer something at every level. Uh, so, yeah, Costa Rica is probably the most expensive way to <laughs> have community. But we also will do drop-ins where you can yeah. pay, like, you know, 40, 50 bucks to be around people who believe the same thing as you. And, and, and I also am not uh, delusioned enough to know that like, it's not accessible to everyone, right? What I would do is if, if I were me and I was like, I cannot pay to be a part of Bree's community, I can't do it. I would, I would start my own thing. I would be like, mm -hmm. okay, like I want to buy, I want to, I want a body image support group. So I would s figure out how I can in my community yeah. figure that out. And that's, and it's hard and it's messy um, and it's super vulnerable, yeah. but I guarantee you, even in the spheres and the spaces of people that you are living with, 
somebody is going to resonate with this message oh, as yeah. well. And often because this is so secret, secret, shamey, shamey, it's Correct. like you start telling one person, oh, I've been working on my body image. And they're like, oh my God, mine's terrible. Like it just starts gushing out. And, and totally. people, I think very quickly realized like, oh, wow, we've all been doing this alone, thinking we're alone. And literally yeah. most of the people I know are struggling like this, you know? And my my evidence for this, not to call in, but like I started a brand new page. Like I did not turn my personal Instagram into my business Instagram or my you know blogging Instagram. And I had a lot of people from my personal life come follow me. Mm. I've never had conversations with these people in real mm. life about this topic, mm -hmm. which means they were feeling it too. Yeah. But nobody started the conversation. Right. Right. So I always say to go with, <laughs> like, if you truly have no, no one in your spaces that you can do this, to go with authors and like podcasters and, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, fill your entire uh, little sense of community and belonging uh, with other people who share your your perspective, even if it just exists in your head, because that is absolutely the beginning of I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. You know, connecting online is a way of connecting into community. But I, I also feel that there's a limitation to it. And I, I've <laughs> racked my brain constantly to figure out how I can help people set these things up in their own smaller communities, because I do think it's so important to have it in person being enacted in a really intentional way, as opposed to just reading posts or, you know, the other thing I would is. encourage people to do is the more that you lean into life outside of dieting, can you find people who are interested in the same things that you are? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think so much of our life is focused on like, okay, finding other, you know, people who have the same body image issues. It's like, f you know, find like, if you're like, I recently have been like, like, I miss singing. And I was like, I wish there was just like a singing group where I could just, you know, meet with some friends and we could just like do our own like acapella thing. And I like made yeah. a post about it on my Facebook. I was like, would anybody want to join an acapella group? Just asking anyway. And like, and there are people who are like, yeah. And then I'm like, that right. requires way too much effort. <laughs> I was about to be like, that's such a great idea. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, I'm a, I'm a pretend planner. I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm an idea. This is the ADHD. I love to think of the idea, but then I'm like, the execution of it. And, oh, and then I'll go into like, and how can I profit from it? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, of no, course. No. <laughs> But even like, so, so I, uh, I have a cricket and I've been, you know, dabbling in my cricket, you know, skills and I bought this cricket and I was like, we will not profit from this. This is not something we're going to make money off of, but I, I've wanted some community around it because sometimes I have questions of like, I don't know how to get this design to work or I don't know how to print it or I don't know how to, you know? And so like of finding people who have similar interests as you, right? And then setting boundaries around mm -hmm. those things of like, and we are, you know, pro LGBTQIA mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we will not talk about diets and bodies and, and, and that still isn't a fix. It's not a solution. Um, it's not an end all, but it is a start. It's something. I love that. And that's so profound. And I hate to ruin it by going back and asking, you have a pet cricket? What were you saying? Oh my God, I'm screaming. That is the funniest thing. And you're going to laugh. Do you, you don't know what a cricket is? I, I, I know it's what a, a cricket is. Well, you know what the cricket, okay. So the cricket is a vinyl cutter and it's like a crafting. 
So like, oh, I can, yeah. oh no, I definitely oh was picturing you with a cricket being like, like, this is something I've wanted my whole I'm life. Screaming. Oh my God. <laughs> so like, like I didn't make this, but somebody else did. Right. Where like, you can like okay, cut okay. vinyl and then print it. Very oh, cool. That is the, so a cra- it's a crafty thing. I now it's understand. It's a crafty thing. Okay. <laughs> Apparently it's a bug. <laughs> I mean, I'm imagining you like taking good care of this cricket and being like, I, where are all my other cricket owners? This is almost, this was the funny, this is the second funniest thing where somebody misunderstood me. I I said to my aunt the other day, I was like, um, I was like, ooh, I want you to spill the tea. And she was like, you 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 should have tea. You've been sick. And I was like, oh my God, oh, you're misunderstanding me. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. This is so funny. And I like was laughing so hard. Um, so yeah, this, that was great. Amazing. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. So I, I love this. I want to take it in the direction of a little bit more personal because you recently got photos done for your website, which has been very cool to have you like posting a little bit about the experience and, and obviously just the photos, which are just the best. Um, so I was curious to hear you talk a little bit more about like being in front of the camera and what that experience was like. And if it was a different kind of experience than you've done before, cause you didn't share too much about that. Man, I, I mean, I take photos for my website all the time. Um, I, it's like, it's so funny because when I first started my Instagram page, I was like, I'm not going to post photos of myself. Like that's not going to be this page. And now that's all. <laughs> I <do. laughs> um, I, I love taking photos now. I actually have, uh, by the time th- when this is being recorded, I have a brand shoot tomorrow and nice. I'm so excited. And I remember when pictures used to grieve me, like mm-hmm. that's there, what I wanted to ask. Yeah. It was a level of body uh, of picture grief that I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom of like, I am never going to like how I look in the yeah. photos. And so what I encourage people, if you're like, yeah, that's me. Um, oftentimes what I think happens is, especially if you're like taking photos with friends and then you see the photos afterwards and then there's that grief of like, oh my God, I did not know that that's what I looked like. Mm-hmm. There's three parts to taking a picture. There's the before, there's the during, and then there's the after. And so what I encourage folks to do is if you're going out with friends and you know somebody's going to be like, let's take a photo. Ask yourself, what's my motivation for being in this photo? Like, Hmm. is this a super, am I looking to be a supermodel in this photo or am I looking to create memories? Oh Um, gosh, that's good. I, I, my, my, my goddaughter's uh, parent had reached out to me and were like, she was like, we're going to go see Santa. Do you want to come? And I was like, yes. And I looked, I, I looked like I had a sinus infection. I had a sinus infection. I was not prepared for the photo. And I had to ask myself, am, am I going to be a supermodel or am I going to create core memories with her? Yeah. Like, that's what I want to remember. And the lack of distress around the photo it was a zero. There was no, because I knew what the intention was. That is vastly different than when you're like, oh no, now I'm going to take wedding photos or I'm going to take brand or photography photos. And so that really goes into that prep work. I think a lot of times pictures are costing because people only remember what they look like in their most dieting days, because Mm -hmm. that was how we used to measure success. Yeah. So if you don't have if the last time you took pictures was when you did before and afters, mm-hmm. your body's going to look a little bit different. When I go into a photo shoot, I ask myself, what is the goal? How do I want to feel? 
And can I separate it from the results? Mm. So the last brand shoot that I did, and I have loved every single picture that I took, like almost every single picture. There's a couple where I'm like, oh, I was tired. And then my face is like the fake smile. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. I, don't, I love it. <clears throat> I act as though even if I see the photos and I don't love them, I'm going to look back on these with kinder eyes. Mm -hmm. How I see the, the pictures now is not how I'm going to see them in a month from now, in right. three months from now, in 10 months from now. So it's really separating out the process. So my goal for my last photo shoot was just to have a great time. And I did. I, I had a great time. It. We had some jam music. Somebody was like keeping time because there was a bunch of us. And she was just like shouting me out. She was like, yeah, get it. Like having a hype woman there was a yeah. oh, game changer. And so that might not always be realistic, you know, sure. to have a hype woman. Um, but it's a great job. I mean, you could ask this of your friends. And I did it. There was a, a friend who was there on the retreat who was getting photos done. And she just looked like she had not taken photos in so long. So I was like, I'm going to come and I'm just going to, I'm going to be like, yes, yeah. get it, girl. Oh, yeah. you look so hot. Do that again. Do this. And I was acting so stupid. And yeah. then she was laughing. And then we got these great mm -hmm. shots. And I'm like, the photographers are like, do you want to come with me next week? I have a yeah. shoot. <laughs> It's not a natural experience to be in front right, of camera, right. unless you're a model. Yeah. Okay. So I think that this is so, so brilliant. And because I know this is one of like the number one, uh, like triggers for body image, you know, sort of, uh, meltdowns among clientele and listeners and followers, like it's huge is to have pictures taken that you don't like freaks people out. It sends them into a spiral. So I, I feel like it is an unconscious motivation to capture beauty, right? Like it's like, oh, I'll pose with my friend and we'll look so hot. And then you look at it and you're like, well, I don't, I don't think I look hot. Therefore it was a total failure. Yeah. But if it's, I'm going to pose with my friend because we're having a great day. I want to remember this day. Then like you instantly strip some of the pressure away because it's a success. No matter how you looked, you definitely yeah. were in a photo. Yeah. And that yeah. is so simple, but so brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So I think people if questioning that, I feel like you kind of have to like really question though. I mean, you have to really tease out what your, yeah. what your goal is. What is your goal? If your mm -hmm. goal is to be a supermodel, maybe don't take the photo. <laughs> sure. Or like, I know, I know some people who will do like the sort of family, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the yearly family type of photo shoot. And, and it's devastating for them when they're like, I didn't like how I looked because there was whether or not they wanted to acknowledge it like there was the hope that the family would just look adorable and happy and perfect and whatever <laughs> um and that you know maybe they see that in their kids but they certainly aren't going to see it in themselves and so it just is like this huge disappointment and i hear this kind of story all the time yeah i feel like i feel like that is just the image of parenting i'm not a parent but i <laughs> I, baby, I had a double sleepover with my niece and nephew and I was like, first day, I was like, we are core memory building. We're going to have a great. The next time I was like, I think some space would be good for our relationship. <laughs> like, I'm so tired. And like, I feel like, okay, I unless I posted that online, yeah. all you would have seen is like the core memory. And yeah. so that is what, I mean, like, it's like Instagram and holiday photos are a highlight reel. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the photo that people want you to see. And maybe not the photo like of the baby screaming in the background right. and getting everybody to party and like it not being fun for everybody. Yeah. And so again, thinking about what is 
what is the goal of those photos yeah if being in those photos is to let people see the kids then just have the kids be then don't yeah, be in yeah. the photo or you know i was thinking about this some of my favorite ca cards this year were people who didn't do formal shots but who they were doing something like mm -hmm. they were doing like i got a snapshot into their life yeah Those like that. are the, that's cool right? it's like then there's not this pressure of like you need to be a sears catalog family photo that we mm -hmm. all know you had to take a million shots to get <laughs> yeah and it is so different too when it's like a brand thing because then you're like well the goal might not be to be a supermodel but i do need to like look good enough to sort of represent this thing i'm representing here it does yeah. add a different layer of pressure um, I just talked to, I don't know if you know, Jill Coleman of Jill fit, but I just mm -hmm. talked to her about this and she's like, I do them every two months just in some ways. Cause like, it, it's just, it's part of the job. It's what I do. And she's like, and seeing myself age over the last 15 years, as I've like done these things, like it's a very interesting process. Yeah. But I also yeah. feel like having it done regularly keeps it from ever getting too scary. I think it's one of those things that builds and builds and builds. Well, I'll tell you somebody who absolutely loves it's like my the theater you know in me the the theater gal i love i love the photo shoots i'm not ready yet to do a boudoir shot ah. and it's it's on my list of like that is a that there's a a warning sign but maybe not as much on the archaeological dig as it was three years ago sure, now sure. it's like okay it's there the idea is Roman, but I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna go, go for it. But I, one of the things I encourage people when they're struggling with picture grief, and I actually have a podcast episode on this. I recommend if you're gonna be in a photo shoot, if you're gonna be a photo, do everything that's going to make you feel like a thousand percent. So when I do brand photo shoots, I get my hair done, I get my makeup done, I get mm -hmm. a self tan, even though like it seems like counterintuitive to like body positivity. Sure. Listen, if what you want to achieve in the photo is not real, <laughs> then we might have to do some things that maybe aren't real also. Mm -hmm. And and not not real, but like, right, you know, I don't touch yeah. up my photos, but like, yeah, you know what? A stupid spray tan makes me feel better when I'm wearing, you know, clothes that you see all my arms in, sure. all my arms, my arms in. <laughs> so I think there's, and there's no... There's no like line of like how body positive you can be because where do you draw that line? Hundred so, I mean, that's a whole other podcast. It is. Stuff. It really, oh my God, we could talk about that. Okay. So I think it's, uh, it's like a weirdly mind blowing concept that you could just be comfortable with photos. <laughs> like, I think that's like not a thing. Most people, most women, anyway, no. um, like could ever imagine for themselves. I get it. Um, but I, I really, really love hearing about that. And I loved that you wrote, um, in this most recent one that you wanted it to have main character energy, yeah, like yeah. a really like embodied, powerful, like the, that was the intention as opposed to, I want to look, I mean, I'm assuming as yeah. opposed to, I want to look as pretty as possible. It was like such a more interesting capture, mm. you know? Yeah. And, I like that. Yeah. Sorry, my robot's <laughs> yelling at us. What I what I was gonna say is like, and I probably could find some posts for you of like when taking photos used to be really hard for me. And this is something I would do with a body image client, right? Is okay, if taking a photo is really hard, scale it one to ten. How distressful. What would be like a one? Mm -hmm. A lot of my clients would say being on the FaceTime camera is like a one. Mm -hmm. Why do we think that is? 
because it's the view you see yourself in the most, most likely if you're doing so. Yeah. Yeah. People used to be really distressed when we were doing zoom stuff because they're not used to seeing themselves all the time. Now you're familiar with it. Yep. It is a familiar wound. Mm -hmm. So I know how to prepare for it. Mm -hmm. I know how to explore it. And I figured out how to make it fun for me. You know, what would make it not fun? Doing it with my family. I love my family. I don't want to take a photo shoot with my family. Like that, I can right. automatically tell you, nope, that would not be safe. That would deli- That would change the dynamic of the shoot entirely. Yeah. Or what I had planned next. Like I remember one of the headshots I did, I like went to work right afterwards and like it was a, it was a stressful situation. And then I was like, okay, so next time photo shoots, they have to be by themselves. Yep. We don't do anything else that requires me to be present afterwards mm-hmm. because then I'm not going to be distracted. And so, yeah, I can say, yeah. I can say fully that I've learned to love photos, but only because I've learned, I've done it so much. So that is one approach yeah. in therapy. We call that um, a, a flooding experience where we just yeah, keep yeah. doing that exposure, <laughs> but you it. also don't have to, right? Like, so mm-hmm. I think I'd mentioned one of the things that I kind of keep as like a, you know, that I haven't touched. I don't know how much I weigh like that is that is an area of body grief that I have yet to explore Mm -hmm. and it it causes some distress, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't impact my daily life. I don't need to know how much I weigh. Right. Whereas if I'm showing up online on social media, I have to figure out how to face my gremlins around pictures. Yeah. 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 Oh, gosh. It's so good. So I feel like just to sort of like package this and go back to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm hearing this to be a really clear example of what you're talking about, like that there is no time heals the wound. There's Mm -hmm. only with time you can prepare for, understand and be better resourced and able to work around the the wound. Like that just just feels like a perfect example. Archaeological dig. There is only learning and exploration and one of the biggest questions i'll get asked is how long do i have to do this work for and my answer is unfortunately yeah for as long as you have a body Mm -hmm. it's the longest relationship you'll have yeah absolutely um also so my partner is a photographer so i'm in like kind of a unique position around this (gasps) because i can play with no pressure right i didn't pay anything we can just do stuff and see how we like it i can also co-create in a way where it's like you know he'll show me stuff and i'll be like oh i liked this or that and we can kind of like because again there's no there's no necessary outcome that i'm going for because i know we can just do it tomorrow if this doesn't work out today whatever yeah um but also I do feel like there's like the slight downside is because mm-hmm. I didn't pay for a certain amount of looks and a certain amount of hours, you know, that, that I also think there, there's something, um, there's something kind of complete about that sort of experience mm-hmm. that I feel like I show up a little bit more I, differently. I'm not really even sure how. Exactly. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Like, I feel like if I'm with a friend who knows what I do and social, I'm like, can you take some photos? It's such a different experience than someone who's like, okay, like you need to take content photos. Like, let me take your photo right now. And I'm like, okay, tell me what to do next. Like, yeah, exactly. I don't know if you, if you saw my, like I had, we had a holiday party and I dressed up as Dapper Santa. And <laughs> oh my gosh, I had, <laughs> so much, I had so much fun with that. And um, and my, my, my girlfriend who was like one of the people hanging out with us was like, she was like, okay, let, do this. I want you to walk. I'm like, yes, tell me what, like yeah. most, most times I'm like, can you just take a quick picture for me? Thank you. Mm-hmm, <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a different energy. Totally. Um, 
Okay. I feel like I could talk to you all day, but we've got to wrap this up. Uh, let's see if there was another question I wanted. Okay. We tackled the Costa Rica thing. Uh, yeah, I guess I would just have you tell any listeners where they can find you. Or if there's anything else, if anything else is occurring to you right now that you want to say, I'm happy to. No. Um, yeah. Come hang out with me on Instagram, Body Image with Brie. You can also follow my uh, other Instagram page that we're starting, the Body Groovers Club. Uh, it's not the, it's Body Groovers Club mm -hmm. um, to get the most access to what we're doing. Listen to my podcast, continue to information gather. And I promise you, the most awareness that you can have around your body grief is the evidence that you'll you'll be able to see remember that in diet culture we had measures we had the scale yeah. we had clothes we yeah. had you know non-scale victories the only thing we have is our thoughts mm -hmm. and our feelings and the best way you can be an excavator of those is by tracking it yeah Amazing. Now is the body grievers club, is it a paid program? The body grievers club Instagram is just an Instagram and okay. it is also my podcast name. We do have a private membership, but it is only for graduates of currently. It is only for graduates oh, okay. of my body grievers course. So when you talk about the community, it really is just an open community for yeah. people who are listening and, and unpacking this stuff. Beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. And we have some ideas coming up I don't know when this episode is going to launch, but we have some really fun things to roll out over the awesome. next few months that will like for the Instagram page for the platform itself. And it's a small enough platform right now that it will be able to really nurture you. Like I have, yeah. I have a, a large following on my main page. So I was like, I want a smaller vessel for my body grievers so that they know where to go. Yeah. Okay. Everyone go there, make friends. <laughs> it sounds amazing. Um, okay. Brie, thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's just been an absolute pleasure. And I have all these questions about like the professional uh, work that you do. And I just, we didn't even get to it. So maybe I'll have to have you sort of Part back two. sometime. Yeah. <laughs> I would love that. Um, amazing. Okay. Well, thank you to everyone, uh, for listening. I will include these links in the show notes so that you can find Brie and, uh, yeah. Thank you for being here. I'll catch you next week. 